Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. So today the theme is God is looking for the lost. Um, continuing on from um, some things that have been taught over the past few weeks, I believe on this theme of God is looking for, and I think there's some more to come, is there, over the next few weeks? And um, Part of me actually thinks it's a bit pointless doing this sermon, actually, because, I mean, you may feel the same at the end, but I just singing that song that we've just sung, that, that amazing love, that how can it be that, that my God should die for me, and hearing Wendy reading from Isaiah earlier, I mean, that just, if you talk about a God that's looking for the lost, uh, you know, those just really summed up for me the heart of God in this. Uh, but this morning we are, we're going to look at three parables that Jesus uh, tells. Uh, they'll probably be quite familiar to, to a number of us. They're in Luke 15. So if you have your Bible with you, that would be great. And you could follow on um, in Luke 15. And I'm just going to begin, we're not going to read it all, we are going to read all of Luke 15, but not all at once. So um, I'm just going to read the first first two verses to begin with and it says now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them and I wanted to pause at that point because I think it's important we understand who Jesus is speaking to um, and, and, and understand the audience of these parables that he's about to tell We've got these, these sort of tax collectors, these, the, the, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about tax collectors and what they were like later. We're not talking inland revenue. Well, we are, because they collect tax as well. But we're, it's a different concept, um, if you're not familiar with, with it. Um, but also sinners, I mean, that just covers everyone really, doesn't it? Um, and the Pharisees, these were the religious um, rulers of the time. Um, and very, Jesus spoke a lot about them. But in many ways, they, they felt they were sort of covered and sorted with God because of their relig- religious observances and religious rituals. So you've got these, those sorts of very religious, dutiful people, and we've got people who are probably very aware of their failings, very aware of their sin as well, and very aware of how others view them. And so we've got this whole mixture of people. I mean, you could probably say the audience of the parable is everyone. Um, but it's important that I think we understand who uh, that is. But Jesus is going to talk about some examples and some ways that we can be lost. And so as we read through the three parables that he's about to tell us, we're going to consider some reasons why we might become lost. So his first parable is that of the lost sheep. I'm reading on from verse 3. Jesus says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In this first parable, Jesus refers to God as the shepherd. And and this picture of God as shepherd features throughout scripture. And he's one who leads and cares for the sheep and the sheep follow him. And when we often think of a shepherd, we think of 
um, you know, sort of the sheep, and then following on, you've got a guy with a dog or a quad bike or whatever, and, and, and he's sort of pushing and shepherding the sheep off to wherever they need to be. But shepherding in this culture, in Jesus' culture, is different. And the shepherd's at the front leading the sheep who follow him. They recognize his voice. I've come, you, you may have come across those stories of, um, of uh, people in the, in the Middle East where they've sort of seen these, these flocks of sheep sort of meld together on the road and with two different shepherds and they're like, how are they going to work out whose is whose? And then each shepherd just speaks a word or a noise or a command. I don't, I don't, I don't know what they do, but they make a noise. That's something that, that, that their sheep will recognize their voice. And then their sheep go one way and the other shepherd's sheep go the other. And it's really rather, rather amazing, I think. And, and, but this idea that Jesus is that good shepherd, he's leading the sheep who follow him. They recognize his voice. And we can read a little bit about Jesus being the good shepherd in John chapter 10. I'm not going to read it for you today, but go and have a read. Because Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd. And part of his responsibility as that good shepherd is to care for the sheep and to keep an eye out for those that have wandered off. And this wandering off is our first example of how we can become lost. Because we're all at risk of that sort of wandering, that sort of drifting away. And, and, and this, my understanding is that what Jesus is talking about isn't sort of an intentional turning and a, right, I don't want anything to do with God anymore, I'm off. But a, a gradual movement. You sort of just wander off a bit. And there can be a lot of different reasons why maybe that happens. It could just be that well, it's just, just a tiny little compromise. Well, just it's only a little sin, nobody will really notice. God won't mind that one. Maybe just I'm just go and explore something else for a little bit. And and, and we can find ourselves drifting off course. Maybe we allow the culture around us to be the primary influence over us rather than the word of God and we just gradually just drift and we just gradually just drift and 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 more and more we find ourselves further away from the path that the shepherd is calling us to be on the bible the word of God should be what we orientate ourselves on if you sort of imagine that compass it's the true north we orientate ourselves according to the word of God and measure everything by this and and as we do that that will help us make sure we're not wandering off you know the, his sheep know his voice we've got his voice and so we want to make sure that we're staying on track with what Jesus is saying but if you found yourself wondering if you found yourself realizing that maybe oh, do you know what I am drifting away and and I am drifting a bit from the truth and and uh, there's good news in this parable because Jesus is coming after you and he's going to find you and he wants you back and he wants you in and it's never too late to come back into the fold Jesus's next parable is the lost coin he says suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In our first parable, the one with the sheep, the sheep wander off. A coin can't wander off. I mean, it can roll somewhere, can't it? 
a coin is it's, it's an object. You can't, can't wander anywhere. And this, this got me for a little while, I'll be honest. I remember quite a few years ago going, how does this work, Jesus? You know, like, the, the coin can't, can't move, can it? And I think there's a few different things that Jesus could be saying through this in, when we think about reasons why we might be lost. Sometimes people are lost because maybe others in the family of God haven't taken the responsibilities that maybe they should have. And, you know, we, we don't walk on our own as Christians. We walk as family. We walk together and we look after each other. We're, we're there for each other, aren't we? We bear each other's burdens. We have a responsibility to each other. We are one in Christ. And so we have that responsibility. And so we need to be sure that we're taking that responsibility because sometimes that can be one of the reasons why people are lost. I would also suggest that what I found really interesting about this parable is that the woman lights a lamp. Jesus is the light of the world. So we've got Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus is the light of the world. So if, if the lamp has been lit, then the coin must be somewhere dark, mustn't it? Because otherwise you're not going to need to light a lamp to try and find it. And so when we're not in relationship with Jesus, we're in darkness. We're in, we're in that, that dark place. Again, there's, there's various scriptures I could, I could look at with that, with you. But the, the key thing that I want to, to sort of highlight there is that when we're in darkness, Jesus is coming with the light. And we have a couple of options. We can either be repelled by the light or we can be attracted to the light. But he's coming with his light to illuminate us, to find us. And he is that light of the world. He's, you know, the, 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 you know when we read earlier from Isaiah, Isaiah also said, you know, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And, you know, we, we need to recognize that that light comes. Jesus is the light. And we can be attracted to that. We can be drawn to that. Um, the coin can't move of its own accord either. Um, you know, if, if, I, if I leave a coin on the floor... One of the kids will certainly find it later, won't they? Because they always do. My kids are brilliant at that. They come home, like, you know, they're, they're really contributing to our income. They're like, look, I've found this. Brilliant. Yeah. No, we, we do let them keep it for themselves. Um, but I did, I did draw the line at them. They found a 500 Macedonian denar note in a shopping centre. That's about £7.50. And I did say, we need to put that back over there because someone probably has it. It was just like one denar. I'm not so bothered. But it can't move of its own accord. Jesus comes to it with the light. We, we can't make our own way to God. But he comes to us. He comes with the light. We need to stop trying to make our own way or impress God with what we can do. He comes with the light. Now Jesus carries on. Verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed at pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here am I 
here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Here Jesus is illustrating another example of why we can be lost. And and I would suggest this is like an out-and-out rejection. The son rejected the father and said, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. I want to go. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go. And there are reasons why people do that. Following Jesus is inconvenient. Jesus isn't always going to do everything we want him to do. There are truths that are true. We talked, didn't we? The Bible is true. There are things that we there are things contained within that that we might struggle with, that we might find difficult. Let me give you an example. And like, I would really like it if people didn't go to hell. I would really like it if that was the case. It's not, unfortunately. People do. I, I really would. I, I, you know, you. you and, and, and I was, I'm going to just give you a reason. Well, there's lots of reasons. It's horrible. I'd love it if everybody was in heaven. Um, and I was going to take this, this example out. I was, pre- I was reading through my notes earlier in the week because I do actually proofread this. I know it doesn't feel like it, but I do. And I was going to take this out and I felt I should keep it in. So I hope it's of some use to somebody. But the Bible does say that some people... Don't come to Christ. And and they don't get to spend eternity with Christ. They get to spend eternity without God. And that's awful <laughs> that some people don't do that, but it is it is the way. And as far as I'm aware, my mother never professed a saving faith in Christ. My mother died when I was nineteen, it was a very sudden death, it was a road accident, so I didn't really get a lot of time to do anything other than go, oh, and she had a belief in God, I think. And I think she had a belief in the institution of the church and she liked some Bible stories, but she never talked about having a relationship with Christ. And, um, you know, we, we sort of, I suppose as a child, we, we had that sort of cultural religion of, you know, there's a church down the road, you go to the Church of England school and da-da-da, you know, if, if there's a problem, you might go and see the vicar. But we didn't really talk about a relationship with Christ. We didn't really talk about anything other than, yeah, there's a God. And I obviously don't know what happened. I mean, we don't know the states of people's hearts. I don't know what happened in her final moment. And there's still always that hope to cling to. But on the balance of evidence, from what I remember and, and what I've seen and what I've heard over the years, um, from, from when she was alive, I don't believe she's in heaven. And I find that quite difficult. But I believe that the truth is the truth. And I believe that God knows what he's doing. And I believe that God's way is perfect. And I believe that God's right. It doesn't mean we always have to like everything. (laughs) But we can 
we're, but, you know, there, there's times, isn't there, where God says no. We don't, have, we don't always like that. There's times where God leads us down a route where maybe we weren't necessarily hoping to go. It's interesting, I was reading earlier this week in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men to um, Peter and Andrew. And I was like, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Because he doesn't say anything else. <laughs> he just says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He doesn't guarantee them anything. He doesn't say where they're going to go. You know, you say sometimes, don't you, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I'd have done things differently. And I sometimes think that's probably why Jesus didn't tell me. You know, because otherwise I wouldn't have said yes to some of the things that he's asked me to do. I was like, I didn't know it was going to end up like that. I didn't know I was going to be in a foreign country. I didn't see that one coming. And I said no much earlier if I knew that was going to happen. Because Jesus just says, follow me and I'll make you fishes. And then follow me and go and tell people about me. Follow me and go and tell people about the gospel. I'm not guaranteeing, you know, there's, there's not much more information than that. And sometimes we struggle, don't we, with the way that maybe God leads us. And sometimes we, I've seen, sadly, a lot of people over the years say, I don't want that, and I'm walking away. We have to guard our hearts against that. You know, sometimes, it, and please, please hear, as Paul Johnson was, was sharing something earlier, and he used this cracking phrase, and I loved it. Please hear what I am saying, not what I'm not saying, I think was what he said. And, you know, following Jesus is the most amazing thing ever. And I'm so glad I'm doing it because it really is absolutely wonderful. If, if you're not a follower of Christ, well, there's a load of reasons why you need to, and I'm going to come to them in a bit. But um, it is just the most amazing adventure ever. But being honest, there are times when you end up doing things that I kind of think, oh, I wish I wasn't doing that. But they're the times that we trust. They're the times that, that you know, we, we keep on walking and we keep on going. Jesus talks about a second son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate him with love because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Jesus finishes. This is his last of the three parables. Um, and he puts that challenge out to those Pharisees we mentioned at the start. The ones who maybe criticized him in the first place. The ones who practice the spiritual disciplines but don't have the life. Walking with Jesus is life-giving. Jesus came that we may have life in all its fullness. He didn't come just for us to do some duties and procedures. He came to give us true life. And what was happening was these guys were so busy with little tick lists to make sure they were doing everything right that 
they missed the life-giving nature of God. Jesus doesn't say that sin is okay. By welcoming home the other son, he wasn't saying that the things he'd done were okay. They weren't okay. And nor by by saying this, he's saying we shouldn't care about the spiritual disciplines. We shouldn't care about holy living because we absolutely should. But we do that because it gives life. I love reading the Bible. I really do. And and I, I try my absolute hardest to read it multiple times a day. I do it because I believe it gives me life. I don't do it because I'm a Christian and that's what Christians do, isn't it? So I better had. I do it because I believe it gives me life. Jesus is calling us to a life-giving relationship. A life-giving, faith-filled relationship with him. And so often, we spend our time not focusing on that life-giving relationship. And we can spend our time getting het up and bothered about other things. Now, those other things may well, be, like I say, be very good things, but they're life. It's when it's life-giving. This other son that Jesus is referring to is serving. That's brilliant. It's really good that he's serving. You know, it's really good. I mean, I've been served today so well. If you've served me in one way or the other today by, I mean, there's so much, isn't there? We're just in this room. I'm so grateful for everything you've done, that you've come and set all this stuff up, that, you know, you guys have been practicing, that people have laid out equipment, and I'm secretly hoping there might be a cup of tea at the end. And thank you, if, you're, if there is, and you're the people doing that, thank you. That service is, is so appreciated. And the things that we do and the way that we live is so important. But we must live out of relationship, not out of duty. And this was the, the thing that was going on here. That younger brother served. Uh, sorry, older brother served. But he never realised how loved he was. He never realised just the fullness of everything that the Father had for him. Let's not be so busy doing stuff that we forget the life that Jesus is wanting to give. And then, of course, this son is criticising. It's interesting, actually, isn't it? Because Jesus talks about the younger son who did wild living. And then um, the, the older son says, oh, you know, squandered your, property, squandered your property with prostitutes. Well, he didn't say that that was what he was doing. I mean, he might have been. But, you know, sometimes when, when, when we lose that sense of life, we can start to just become really critical and just start poking holes. And, and, and again, how does that bless God? How does that bless others? It's important that we are free and able to challenge each other and to help each other grow, but... This guy's just pointing the finger. And I really like it that Jesus adds this on. And he doesn't just stop with the younger son. Because, of course, he's almost circling back, isn't he, to those Pharisees at the start. And, and, and you know, we don't, he doesn't tell, us, doesn't tell us what the older son decided to do. He doesn't say, oh, and then he said, all right, then I'll come in, thanks. Or whether he says, oh no, 
I'm not. I'm still. I'm staying like this. I, I can't come in and celebrate. Jesus has a lot of very harsh things to say about the Pharisees and the religious rulers, but we must never take our eyes off the fact that he loved them also and loves them also. And, and um, you know, many became his followers. We've got Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, they became his followers. And, and I think he's laying out the invitation to them at the end there. And he's saying, do you know, these guys, these tax collectors and sinners that I'm hanging around with, they're welcome. And so are you. So please come. I've, I've kind of gone through that because what I want to get to, not, not gone through that because it's not important, but I want to get to, to actually, what we get to see is in Luke 19, so that's Luke 15, in Luke 19, we actually get to see Jesus living out those parables um, in the account of Zacchaeus. And uh, I'm going to read that to you, it's Luke 19, 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We see those parables in action. Jesus stops for the one. We talked about the 99, leaves the 99, goes and gets the one. He's stopping here for the one. Zacchaeus was somebody who was definitely wandering off. He was a tax collector. Now, I'm sure many of us are familiar with the, what, what that was like in those days. But if you're not, he was collecting the taxes, but pocketing a bit for himself. So he'd collect what was required and a bit more and the bit more he'd keep. So quite wealthy. Um, some people say that they probably had a, a, a team of enforcers, um, probably with baseball bats or whatever weapons they had in those days, and big strong fists. And, of course, Zacchaeus would have been a Jew collecting taxes for the occupying Romans. So it would have made him socially very unpopular as well at the same time. I wonder which of these parables and reasons for being lost both maybe fit Zacchaeus the best was it that gradual compromise did he just reject God I don't know but what I do know is this Jesus came to find him Zacchaeus was lost and Jesus came to find him God is looking for the lost he goes after the one he goes after that sheep because the son of man came to seek and save the lost Jesus welcomes him he celebrates Zacchaeus's salvation just like he's celebrating in the parables and he invites him to live a new life. He doesn't condone what Zacchaeus has done. He doesn't say that Zacchaeus is thievery and all that. He doesn't say that was okay, because it's not okay. But he invites him to live a new life. He comes to seek and save the lost. We are, or were, lost. And he wants us back. He wants us found 
You know, a few weeks back, I can't quite remember the circumstance of this, but the, the children, someone was showing the children a video about the, the Easter, the Easter story. And I just overheard the start of this video and it said, um, the story of Easter begins at Palm Sunday. And I was like, no, it doesn't. The story of Easter doesn't begin at Palm Sunday. The story of the journey to the cross doesn't begin at Palm Sunday. It begins in Genesis. It begins at when you know, sin enters the world in Genesis. The relationship with God the Father was broken. And ever since then, and we see right through the Old Testament, Wendy read it to us earlier on, it's all been about God's desire for that relationship to be restored. It's all been about God pursuing us, coming after us. We're not lost in the sense he doesn't know where we are. But we're lost in the sense that we're no longer in relationship with the Father. His desire is that we be found and return to the family. Our three parables and the, the account of Zacchaeus show us a few things about how Jesus does this. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Firstly, he notices the lost. He noticed the sheep has wondered. He noticed the missing coin. And of course, it's fairly easy to spot when you had a son and you've now not got one. With Zacchaeus, there's a crowd of people. This guy, and he's only little, the Bible's very clear on that, he's only little, he's up a tree. Probably not at eye level, yet Jesus notices him. He notices the lost, and he wants them returned to the family. And did you notice that he calls Zacchaeus by name? How does he know his name's Zacchaeus? I mean, he's just passing through. You might feel anonymous. You might feel unknown. Jesus knows you by name. He comes to us. Jesus stopped by Zacchaeus. He went to retrieve the sheep and the corn, coin. The, he ran to the younger brother. Came out of the party to see the other one. You can't get to God by yourself. Your actions, your good works, they're not sufficient. That's the mistake the Pharisees made. We can't get to God. He comes to us and he gives us an opportunity to welcome him in. Jesus won't force himself upon us. Zacchaeus could have said no couldn't he? The son could have stayed away and he doesn't force the the older one to come into the party. It's not loving to force someone. But he opens up and says, you're welcome. He restores the relationship. I'll explain more about that in a minute. He celebrates, but he doesn't celebrate on his own. He celebrates with others. When we move from lost to found, we're joining a family. We're joining the family of God. You can't be a Christian by yourself. Often one of the reasons why we get lost is because we disconnect from the family. We disconnect from the community of believers. We start to wander off. And he implores us to go and live a different life. He doesn't condone sin. He doesn't say it's okay. He doesn't say go in our own way and deciding our own truth is okay. He tells us to go and live differently. As Romans 12 tells us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And I've talked about sin and how we wander off and how we reject the truth and how we're lost in our sin. But it's essential to remember that Jesus isn't just finding us to stop us from sinning. It's not just about self-improvement. 
when we're found, there's two things that happen. The relationship with the Father is restored and we're adopted into the family of God. Okay. Finally, I just want to say something that I've, as I started to prepare and as I started to read through these parables, what I really wanted to, to sort of have a, to send you away with was actually what this reveals about the heart of God and the heart of the Father. It's that restoration of the relationship with the Father that I think is the key thing I'd love us to focus on, that Jesus came to restore that broken relationship. And it tells us a couple of things. Firstly, it tells us that we're valuable. You don't put that much effort into finding something that's not valuable to you. Not necessarily financially valuable, although the coin would have been worth a lot of money, but value, worth, purpose. A jigsaw might be quite cheap, but if you've got a missing piece, you'll spend time looking for it because it's worth it to make up the picture. The shepherd didn't just decide he could get along fine with 99. I mean, 99 is still a lot of sheep. I haven't even got one. He wanted his full complement of 100 sheep. Because it was valuable. You have value. God values you. And like Zacchaeus, he notices you. He notices you're missing and actively looks. The father was, was looking for his son. Okay, he might not have been out wandering the streets, but he wasn't doing anything else. There's a beautiful picture. I haven't really got time to tell you it, but I'm going to anyway. Out the front of our building where we live in a, in a story of apartments, I showed you the photo last year. I'll show you it again on, uh, if you want to see it. But there's this pedestrianised area straight out the front. It's brilliant for kids. And sometimes if we've got visitors, Josiah will go downstairs and sit on a bench there waiting for the visitor to arrive. And what was really cool was a few weeks ago we had a visiting team from Formby and I'd taken them out that morning and he'd come down to wait. You see, normally I'm upstairs and he's downstairs so I don't get to see it. And as we rounded the corner, he's just sat there looking, waiting. And then when we arrived round the corner, he's like, you're here. And obviously he was more interested in them than me. But I was just like, that is that that must be what Jesus is on about when he's talking about the father looking out like that. Just that that I'm just sat here, I'm not doing anything else. He wasn't doing anything else. He's just waiting, looking, because he wants the people. Uh Giselle was waiting for us to come. The father wants us to come back. For the older son, he came out of the party. He's active in looking for the lost because he wants them to be found. And secondly, you're welcome. As I said earlier, the cross began in Genesis. God wants you. He wants you to come and be in relationship with him. He wants you to be part of the family and that's why Jesus came. Because our sin separates us from God. And he wants that relationship to be restored. If you're feeling lost today, if you're feeling like maybe you've maybe you've never had a relationship with God or maybe you know that you've started to drift a little bit come back he wants you to be found and he offers you a welcome he will forgive the things that you've done he sent Jesus to be punished for our sin so he's not looking to punish he's looking to restore relationship 
I meet so many people in the, in the course of the work that we do who want to walk with God, who want a relationship with God, but they think that first they have to get their life in order and get these particular issues that they've got sorted out or dealt with. And once they've done that, they can have that relationship with God because this thing will be dealt with. It's totally wrong. Total nonsense. Whoever just said that, you're absolutely right. It's the other way around. The church should be a place full of broken people. Being restored and transformed by the relationship with the Father and walking with others. Those tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, they were all welcomed. And what I find really interesting is that in the final parable, the Father came out and he pleaded. And I suppose I've got a plea for you today. Please. Be restored back into that place of relationship with the Father. Whether you've never had a relationship with God before or whether you just know you've drifted or wondered, come back. Come. Jesus came out of heaven to speak with us. Philippians 2 says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant to being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came out of the party of heaven to look and speak with us. And we have that privilege of having that opportunity to have that relationship restored. He went to the cross to take the punishment that we deserve and he looks for us. He wants us back. He wants us in relationship with him and he will welcome us in and celebrate with us. You're valuable and you're welcome. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.